Hello, and welcome back to Cannonballs, the podcast where we read canon literature and share our sometimes sassy thoughts about it. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that tagline. I'm Gemma Kaneko, and this is Ben Cosman. Hi, Gemma. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It is January uh, 1st. It is January 1st. We do not actually have a guest for this episode because I assume everyone we know is just crazy hungover or uh, has been sucked into a time vortex. As you know, those always open at midnight and at the end of the year. So any of those things could have happened to all of our friends. So we are just the two of us. We are. This week. Starting off mm-hmm. uh, 2018 with a uh, two-person pod. I'm excited. Yes, I think this is a very exciting, very exciting twist. Um, we are also reading the book Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov. Uh, that's our first book of 2018. Pretty sure you all know what it's about. It's about a terrible garbage man who objectifies and obsesses over a child. And um, that's what it's about. We're going to do this in two episodes because the book is in two parts. So this will be our episode or episode about part one. Uh, I don't. I don't know how much more I want to say about this as an intro. So let's just jump right into the scouting report. Let's do it. Um, based on what we know, so I have actually read Lolita before, and you, Ben, have not. I have not. I've just been familiar with its uh, infamous reputation. I definitely think infamous is the correct word yes. here. Yes, yes. Uh, so we only have our three categories, three basic categories for this book, classicness, accessibility, and pop culture influence. Starting with classicness, I went ahead and gave this an 80 just because I think that if you know about books, like casually, even if you don't, you know what Lolita is. It has such a firm place in the canon that I couldn't really give it less than 80. Yeah, I would agree with 80. Uh, it is, it's one of those books like Catch-22 where the title has become its own word. I don't know if it's actually in the uh, dictionary, but everyone knows what Lolita means and implies. Right, there's like a whole a whole subset of kind of like cosplay goth fashion, which is Lolita. Uh, yeah, that's uh, terrible. Yeah, which is just dressing like a sexy little girl, and it's <laughs> shudders. This book gives me shudders. This book so. is deeply unnerving in every possible way. Yes, it is. Um, for accessibility, I went kind of high, but I'm actually going to change my own my own grade now because I'm going to give it a 55 for accessibility because I think that Nabokov is a brilliant writer and the writing of this book is just like spellbinding and incredible. Uh, but also, it's very off-putting to just read about these things. I can see that if you were reading it, no matter how gorgeous the prose is and how much word games there are and how much you like to decode what he's writing about i think that if you're reading this book you really there are parts where you're just just listening to a gross old man talk about how hot a child is and it's fucked up so i'm gonna take it down to a 55 uh yeah the writing because the writing the writing itself is really i find my i find myself reading this very quickly it goes very uh smooth it's it's i I don't want to say an easy read, but it is a uh, doable read, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know. It seems like one of those books that could be taught in high school, but absolutely should not be taught in high school. <laughs> um, I don't know if it is. I didn't read it in high school. I I don't know if it's part, if it's like on high school reading list. I, I doubt it. I mean, I didn't read it in high school. I don't know anyone who did. It might be on college reading lists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it could certainly be. The reading level, I think, could be read by a high schooler. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe I mean, the AP, writing is... an AP high school. It's just a truly astonishing piece of writing. Right. I, all of Nabokov's novels, I think, are, like, incredibly crafted. It's it's just the work of a master. But uh, I, I do think that because he's such a good writer, there are scenes in this book that 
could be potentially really off-putting to a reader. Yes, I think there are, yeah, there are points when the beautiful writing makes it worse. Yeah. Uh, what, so what's your grade for this? Uh, I'll do 55, 60. I'll do slightly higher than you. Um, just cause I, I was, I was surprised at how, um, quick it was to read, which is honestly good. Cause I wouldn't want to really have to, uh, this, this book would be really bad if it was a slog to get through. Uh, I want to talk about like long books about hard subjects a little bit later in the podcast yes. too. Uh, cause I think that would be fun and interesting. Um, well, uh, fun. Oh. Interesting. <laughs> Our final category is pop culture influence, um, which I dropped in at about a 55 because like, yes, the, the Lolita definitely has such a strong connotation. Everyone knows what it sort of means and is, but I think that the actual story has had a far smaller amount of influence than you would imagine based on the title. Like, I think everyone could tell you it's about an old dude who pervs on young girls, but I'm not sure that beyond that anyone would know. Like, there are film adaptations, and mostly every film adaptation of it has just not gone particularly well or isn't particularly, like, remembered. Um, for a book that is considered to be so much a part of the canon and that is so excellently written and by such a master of fiction, I feel like it has a pretty small pop culture influence because of that. Like all those things would make me think that people would know more about the actual story, but they don't. And I think it's because the subject matter is actually so challenging that it's harder to have for it to have those reverberations. Yeah, I would agree. It strikes me as the, as a book that everyone knows about, but no one has read. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there are a couple of movies. I mean, Stanley Kubrick did a movie of it in the yeah, 60s with uh james mason as humbert humbert um but like when you're thinking great stanley kubrick films no one's like lolita right? well i'm sure there are some people who say that uh, i don't want to meet them but yeah no you're right uh and there are later movies i think there was one more recently um there's I, yeah i want to say yeah I, I mean do we i don't i never know how to judge pop culture like is is it the pop culture influence just the fact that Lolita is a word now. Um, I mean, you it, can decide that that's the reason that you want it to be. We obviously choose our own right. versions. Yeah. I mean, I would give it, I would give it 65, 70, I think, uh, purely because it is, uh, it just the idea itself is so powerful. And so, because the book is not that old. The book is from the 50s, I think. Uh, I don't know when it was published. Let's check. Um, yeah, 1955. And it is, it sort of, almost immediately cemented itself as such a uh, cultural, uh, I don't know, idea, I guess. All right. I get that. Yeah. I get that. I, I, um, I guess, although I guess, yeah, pop culture influence and classiness, I guess, overlap for me sometimes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Particularly for sure. with, with so. newer books like this. And there's a way that you can determine how to qualify those things. Um, also, maybe I, maybe I'm going to leave my grade where it is, but I do just want to note that apparently it would, they made someone, Alan J. Lerner and John Barry made a musical version of Lolita <laughs> called Lolita My Love, which I really just don't even know how to touch. Um, yeah, not a, not a movie you want to uh, have show tunes for. Yeah. Not a book. Real weird. Real weird. Uh, there was a film adaptation. I was thinking that it had Daniel D. Lewis, but it has Jeremy Irons, ah. you know, uh, from 1997. Um, but that was really poorly reviewed. Uh, I, I know that people didn't really, really like it. I, I find it weird. I, I have, I've not seen either of the movies. I th reading at least the first part, it seems it would be hard to 
film because the so much of it is in his head. And that's, you know, the, the appeal is the writing style. The appeal is not the story. And in fact, we can talk about this later where I think the plotting is actually kind of bad. Uh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that. Um, but before we get into how we feel about this actual book, let's just remind everybody who's in this book, who the important characters are, and what it is about. I did all the sum ups last time, so you get to do them this time. Oh, I will. Uh, well, not gladly, but I will do this one on Lolita. <laughs> uh, so we have Humbert Humbert is the pervert. Dolores Lolita Hayes is the child. Charlotte Hayes is her mother and Humbert's landlady turned wife, briefly. Uh, Annabelle is Humbert's childhood crush, and she dies of typhus. Valeria is Humbert's first European wife, who divorces him and then dies in childbirth. And there are a bunch of neighbors in Ramsdale, uh, who I'm sure will be important later, but I don't know the name. I don't remember the names off the top of my head now. Their names are like, yeah, John, uh, Jean, and John. Yeah, <laughs> all the names in this book, there's some, the naming conventions in this book is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so I think those are the major characters. We have Humbert is the despicable perv, Lolita is the child, Charlotte is mother and wife, Annabelle is the childhood crush, Valeria is the ex-wife, and there are a bunch of neighbors hanging around. Yep, yep, so far so good. That's in part one. So if you have read more than than that, uh, part two, we'll talk about some of the other key characters next time. Uh, So part one, what happens? Uh, So we open, and it... The, it, we open and it's interesting. We open with a foreword written by a friend of Humbert's lawyer. And this man says he is editing Humbert's, quote, memoir manuscript, which was written while Humbert is in jail. And we learn that Humbert dies in jail awaiting trial. We don't necessarily know what he's been arrested for. I mean, you can kind of guess, but I think it's different than what the plot of the book, uh, what everyone knows. Uh, but then we also learn that basically everyone else in the book ends up dead too, a lot of death. Uh, but then we, we we turn back and we get to the memoir and Humbert's narration, which begins with him as a 13-year-old French boy who has a teenage fling with Annabelle Lee. Uh, she dies of typhus a few months after their summer romance, leaving Humbert to grow up into the deranged pervert he is for most of the book. Uh, as an adult, he meets and marries Valeria as a cover-up for his pedophilia, uh, but she divorces him when he tries to move them to America. Um, because I think, I believe he's inherited something or something in America, or he has a reason to go to America, but she doesn't want to go. She divorces him. Uh, he moves to America alone. He goes on an Arctic expedition for a couple of years for some, for whatever reason, uh, just sort of, uh, chronicling the people he's with. Uh, but he returns and he takes up residence on 342 Lawn Street with the Hazes, mother Charlotte and daughter Dolores, also known as Lolita. Uh, but I, well, we can talk about this. I don't know if anyone else calls her Lolita besides Humbert. Um, no, no one else. But does. he becomes obsessed with her. Uh, and when Charlotte sends her uh, sends Lolita away to summer camp, Humbert resolves to take control of the situation by marrying Charlotte and becoming essentially Lolita's stepfather. Uh, although he never moves to adopt her legally, at least in part one. Uh, Charlotte discovers journals that for some reason Humbert has been keeping and documenting his obsession with uh, Lolita she uh, she reveals or she reads them. She realizes Humbert's a deranged psychopath. Uh, she writes letters, a series of letters revealing his evil. Um, but then she's sort of in a stupor because she's been betrayed and um, sort of crazy because you know she's essentially married to this man who is you know hunting her daughter. Um, but she so she's running off to mail the letter. She gets hit by a car and dies. So Humbert's secret is safe for now. Uh, he drives to pick up Lolita from summer camp. Does not tell her her mother is dead um, until the very end. Because he brings her to a hotel in New England where part one concludes. And as they're driving away from the hotel, then he tells her that her mother is dead. Yep. And that's yep, part yep, one. Yep. That's, 
that's part one. What a great, what a great time. Um, the one thing I would add is that um, he, he is really obsessed with Lolita the entire book. And he's like constantly like getting closer and closer to the edge of how he's going to like satisfy his sexual urges near or around her. Yes. Um, but at the end of part one, they do have sex and the next day she's upset and, and uh, in a terrifying mood. And she has, she, she's like, I want to call my mom. And that's when he says, your mom is dead. Yeah. Ugh, ugh. Very, yeah, I skipped over some of the gruesome details that Humbert provides us with. Uh, also the fact that he gets a bunch of sleeping pills from the family doctor because his original plan before Charlotte dies is to just routinely drug mother and daughter so he can, I guess, have his way with Alita while she's asleep. I mean, I guess he, there's that one scene when he like is jerk, not jerking off, obviously, but he like gets off just cause like while he's, she's like touching him, right? just like physically touching him, which, but she doesn't know. She's like just doing some other thing. Um, anyway, let's psychoanalyze Humbert Humbert, who is the narrator of this book and who is, who we are left to trust to get the story from, even though we already know he is a terrible person. Uh, at the very first chapter of the book, he remind he says that he's a murderer, so we can kind of guess that's maybe what he's in jail for is murdering yeah, someone with very fine prose or uh, for a <laughs> yeah. fancy prose style. I believe is the quote. You can always count on a murderer for a fancy prose style. Yes, yes. Uh, which is one of the, I mean, Humbert. Yeah, Humbert. Humbert is continually sort of cavalier about everything he does. He is. I mean, he's also, I, we get from his autobiography that he's, what he tells us about himself and the way that he writes is that we can kind of get Garner that he's pretty smart. Um, and also that he has a great sense of entitlement for, of, of, about what he deserves in the world. Mm-hmm. Like he's always just so annoyed with people for not just like making it easier for him to get what he wants all the time. Yeah. He is very so, entitled is a good word. He, he constantly refers to himself as uh, like very handsome and uh, good looking and sort of that women cannot resist him. Um, he, yeah, he's smart. He also continually rationalizes the fact that uh, uh, of his pedophilia saying that like, all, basically implying that all great men are, he refers to himself as a poet multiple times. Um, yeah. He's, he's a man who thinks highly of himself. So what does that mean about him? Like what should we think about him uh, as we come into this book? Um, so I, I mean, I, when I immediately started reading it, I immediately jumped to another famous, um, I guess, I guess, I mean, originally in literature, but more from the film, um, of Hannibal Lecter, we get our, you know, super intelligent, super um, quote unquote, charming, um, sociopath, essentially, that Mm -hmm. will win us over by sheer, um, force of personality, I guess. Although, I mean, essentially no one is won over, hopefully, but. (laughs) <laughs> uh he's because he knows what he's doing is wrong he acknowledges it he understands and he, he even goes out of his way for most of part one to maintain lolita's innocence it feels important to him um and he, he i mean he he knows what he's doing is wrong but he also frequently provides outs for himself to continue to do more bad things right and he, um, and he re- frequently refers to like different cultures or different points in history when uh, you know, seducing a 12-year-old was considered okay. 
Yeah, which is like really anyway. But uh, so he he sources his pedophilia back to his first childhood girlfriend. So when he was also a teen, yeah, basically like a young child. They were both uh, thirteen, I think. Yeah, they were both thirteen, and he falls for this girl Annabelle Lee, which like great Edgar Allan Poe uh, callback there. Edgar Allan Poe, a dude who loved young teens. So. but she's like, well, you know, she died of typhus, typhus, and now I can only date girls exactly like that, even though I'm, like, 30 years older than all of them. Um, and then his weird digressions about all the prostitutes that are, like, not girlish enough for him because they're prostitutes. Um, and basically how the world has so far failed in every single way to satisfy his urges. Uh, like, I do think he he is very smart, but he uses his intelligence just to excuse his own bad behavior right he's constantly rationalizing what he's doing uh, so the question i have is is he a straight sociopath like does he think that other people in the world are real people uh i don't think so because well no because even he refers to uh these girls the, because he's not interested in all young girls he makes a clear distinction in what he terms as nymphettes which is mm-hmm. just the you know, makes my skin crawl every time he writes that word. Um, but he talks about them as, he refers to them as demons frequently and demonic. Um, mm-hmm. And he, he almost blames them for his lust as if he absolutely blames them as if, uh, as if he is being sort of um, taunted by the world. I, I don't think he sees anyone as a real person. Everyone is either an obstacle to get to a nymphette or the demon uh, nymphettes that he doesn't treat yeah. as real humans. That seems right. Like, the the children that he likes are objects to him, and he finds adults with their emotions and feelings to be completely, like, uh, foolish and baffling, despite the fact that he acts exactly the same way. Yes. Like, when he gets all upset for Charlotte, with Charlotte, for being into him, like, she is into him, and he is uncontrollably into her daughter. It's like he's also being completely controlled by his passions and yet makes fun of all these women who are only like partially controlled by their passion for him right they they are uh i mean they both both Valeria and Charlotte realize what a monster he is eventually um yeah. whereas I don't think i mean I'm waiting for Humbert's moment of reckoning, but i, I I'm skeptical it ever comes. Well, so here's a question about him, is that he says when, when Valeria, when he's divorcing Valeria, it's also because she's had an affair with this taxi driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though he's over her and, like, doesn't want to be with her anymore and doesn't care about her, he still gets really possessive and mad. And so he's like, maybe I'll just kill her. Like, I could just kill her. But he doesn't. But he also says that the reason he doesn't kill her is because the taxi driver was always there, so he could never really be alone with her to kill her. Um, but he frequently thinks, like, I would like to kill people. And obviously he's in jail for murder, so maybe he eventually does, right? Um, but what does it mean that he mostly doesn't kill all these people? Like, does he, what, is it because he's trying to give himself an out for not being able to, as, as though he get like, the way he gives himself out and out in so many other situations? Like, how much of Humbert Humbert's descriptions of himself can we really believe like is he that handsome or interesting like what is going on right um i i think i i I think he doesn't kill people because i don't think he cares enough to i don't think he cares Mm -hmm. enough about the adults that he interacts with um to even waste the energy or time on killing them i think his whole um focus and um 
sort of purpose is tracking down Lolita um, and, you know, well, Annabelle in, uh, in Reverberations and other girls. But um, I, yeah, I don't know. I think he, I think he, I struggled with this. I also thought, I was like, oh, this guy is, you know, so full of himself. He's full of shit. Um, I, I wonder so much about that too. Like how much, the whole, the whole Charlotte thing really confused me because it takes place in the span of a month or two. Like they're married almost a month in to their relationship, right? And she, I mean, it's, I, I always thought of it as like a little bit longer, but it's quick. Right, because he moves in, I thought he moved in like right around the beginning of June. And then, and then Lolita goes to summer camp. And then this is where I was talking about the plotting is that the plotting, I don't think makes sense because basically Charlotte and Humbert get married and then she dies and they have a funeral within the span of a few weeks. And it seems, to me, it just seemed like a plot device to get Humbert to Lolita. I mean, yeah, for sure. I think that a lot of it is also we have to, like, ask ourselves what, how much of this accounting can we trust mm-hmm. when it all comes from Humbert himself? Right. And he, I think he even like, says that when he's writing. There's a section where it's the journal entries that Charlotte uh, finds eventually uh-huh. uh, in the middle of part one. We And it basically, Humbert says, these are re- uh, recreated to the best of my memory. Um, right. And I think he mentions that a couple of times with a couple of scenes in the book where I don't remember every word uh, that was said, but here's basically what happened. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think we can. Um, right. So like any time discrepancies sort of are seen through, cause I, I mean, like, I do think that there are moments in this book that reveal to us really clearly that Humbert's description of events probably don't jar with what or like don't like click with what really happened in real life and are in fact probably a little bit jarring um like when he talks about like lolita having a crush on him mm-hmm. as teenagers like if he is handsome like she's like oh he's handsome and i'm into it and the way he interprets it is as though like this is a serious step in a relationship and she's like really into me and i'm gonna make this happen um right but she but- knows she she acknowledges that he what she acknowledges that he's a pervert. Essentially, she calls him a dirty right. old man multiple times. Yeah, but yeah, and that. But there are the moments too when we can see how little it actually means to her. Like she right. goes to camp and is like Humbert, who, um, which I think is a good sobering moment to remember that like whatever is happening, like it's overlaid so thickly with his own thoughts that we know we we know not to trust it. Like we know that we can't trust his assessment of any of the people in his life. Yes, like. He hates Charlotte. He thinks of this as her as this like mundane, boring suburban woman, um, and he kind of thinks of her as a pet. Eventually, before she finds the journals, mm-hmm. uh, that like he he can put up with her, and she's uh, kind of irritating, but he can like domesticate her. Um, is like we have to wonder like what kind of person Charlotte really is. Like I'm sure that there that that there is a completely different aspect of her character that he's just decided to ignore. Right. Uh, I mean, we can all ask ourselves if Charlotte is a good mother, which is like probably not. But I am. I was the other thing that sort of confused me or that I went over my head was just the nature of the relationship. Like, so Humbert eventually goes to Ramsdale because he was ostensibly supposed to live with another family whose house burns down when he arrives. So he lives with the Hayes's. But why? What is the reason that he lives there so long? I mean, because that's why. Why do you live in your apartment? Right. I guess just the fact that he takes this room in this. I guess it, did that happen in the fifties? Like, I guess this middle-aged man taking a room in a mother and daughter's house for ostensibly ever is was normal. I don't know. 
mean, I don't know that it would be like seen as super extremely normal, but it, it, not like it, not like so odd and unusual. Right. Because he's not working. Yeah. Or he's essentially just working on his writing. Right. And like, probably people assume he'll eventually move on. Like not, he's not going to stay there forever, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I, going back to your original point, I think you're correct. I don't think we can trust anything, particularly because he makes reference multiple times where he says he um, doesn't really do anything wrong or that his, his behavior is, uh, um, and I think he, he makes one quote, um, uh, somewhere in the middle of part one that he says, absolutely no harm done to Lolita <laughs> as he's trying to seduce her and have his way with her. Um, but also he's, he's he, I sort of, I almost missed it the first couple times where he makes references to the fact that he's been in, institutionalized a couple times. Yeah. Um, and regularly see psychiatrists who he makes a point of basically fucking with, um, and right. toying with. And yeah, so I, I think he is squarely a sociopath. Yeah, and he just thinks that he's really the only person with real thoughts in the entire world. Yes, or worth um, yeah, worth listening to. So let's go back to the forward a little bit because the forward is written. It's a fictional forward by a fictional doctor, obviously, in this point of fiction, um, saying that this is he found he found this story just a fascinating piece of psychology, but also kind of considers it a love story in a way. Mm-hmm. Um. So already the function of the a, like a fake doctor writing the beginning of it is that we all we just like know that Humbert is an unusual person and um that his he's not someone that it's not like this could happen to any of us anyone could be like this you know we already we already have him sort of pathologized at the beginning um but what what I think about in that term is like the love story like can anybody lo- can Humbert love anybody can anybody love anybody in this book no, I don't think so. Because I, I don't think Humbert treats anyone as a real person. It's just, they're just objects to fulfill his desire. Um, I, I do think, going back to the forward, I think there's a quote where uh, the doctor writes that 12% of American adult males, quote, enjoy the same um, you know predicament as Humbert, which, uh, yeah, I, the forward is very strange to me, where it, it, it gives Humbert more credence than I was expecting. Uh, what do you mean by credence? Like, it, it sort of, it doesn't paint him as strictly the monster he is. Interesting. So, since I've already read this book, I don't want to say anything too much, but I think that perhaps part two will shed some light on why the forward perhaps gives Humbert a little bit more humanity than you see in the beginning. Okay. Um, I do think in part one it's it's hard for me to imagine how he could love lolita since he doesn't really seem to consider her to be a person right um and he he like infantilizes her but also infantilizes himself like in the sense when they first have sex he says that like she started it right just like right you're an adult so what the fuck are you doing um like it's your responsibility and job to not to not do any of these things um is so I, I don't think that in part one there's any real love for anyone at all. Um, it's mostly Humbert trying to use other people as vehicles to get to his ultimate destination, whatever that is. Yes, I would agree. Um, and I don't think I don't think anyone in the book. I don't think any love is real in the book. Like the his marriage to Valeria is very much just sort of a, a guise to hide behind. Um, yeah. Charlotte, I don't think Charlotte loves him. That 
because she writes him the infect the well she writes him the love letter that humber recreates but then basically says he cut a bunch and then reworded things so again we can't trust it um but that seemed more like she wanted a it may have been if humbert's telling the truth about his good looks it may have just been purely she was attracted to him or that she wanted um someone to play the father figure or the husband role yeah I mean, it seems like she wants things. She like is trying to live a certain kind of life, and that includes having a husband. Right, because Humbert treats even before they're married. Humbert treats her like shit. Yeah, he's just really rude to her all the time. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, I think I think in the first part of it, it's well, I'll be interested to see what you think after you read the second part. Um. So people, a lot of people die in this book. It just constantly happens like everyone's just always sort of dying and it seems to be that they are dying fortuitously to advance the plot mostly Mm -hmm. um but like what does that mean overall that it's just death is so casual in this book um yeah i that's something i haven't figured out yet because it it is every time i i find myself reading the book and I, i you find yourself hoping that something or someone will stop humbert from getting what he wants, but then every time someone gets close, they are conveniently killed off. Um, I don't know. It, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what death means yet. Cause it opens. Cause in the foreword, basically the doctor writes all these characters and he, how they died. And even Humbert himself is dead in jail. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I, I like to think of it sort of as, Humbert's life is this fantasia in a sense. His language is really elevated. The way he talks about everything is so high flown and like quite imaginative and beautiful, but it's like, this is sort of the kind of thing that can only happen in that, that level of poetry, just like romantic death Mm -hmm. or, or like reasonable death. Like Humbert wants to kill people all the time. Like he always thinks about it. He's like, Oh, he thought he thinks maybe I should just kill Charlotte, but then he's like, nah, Oh, maybe, and maybe I should kill Valeria. Like he, he has these homicidal impulses from time to time. And he only, as far as we know, he does eventually murder someone. Um, but mm, the question is like, does he, how much of an actor is he in his own life? Like, did he push Charlotte in front of the car? Like, he sa- he says that she just got hit by the car, but we don't know, right? Right. right. He's a, he's ostensibly making drinks um, to calm her down. But yeah, you, I mean, and he the way he describes death. I mean, he describes uh, Valeria's death as his quote revenge. He describes Charlotte's death as quote a sunburst through the clouds. Um, I, I think. I mean, you could read it as you know the fact that Humbert himself is you know, sort of dead inside. Um, that he. Yeah, he he only treats other people's death as means to an end. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, because clearly he thinks of most people in the world as means to his eventual end, which uh, he kind of gets at the end of part one. Like, he does sleep with Lolita, Mm -hmm. and he is also effectively her guardian now, but they're also on the run. Like, he tells her her mother's dead. She didn't get to go to the funeral. There's, like, no one else to take care of her. Um, and he did sleep with her. So like, he got that. What happens now? Right. That's what, what is he going to do? That's what I was surprised about that. It happened. I, cause I, I thought essentially part one, what happened in part one, I thought that was ostensibly just the entire book. I didn't realize. Uh, yeah. I'm curious to see what part two is going to be like. Cause I have no idea what happens now. Well, what do you think is going to happen? Oh God. I mean, I'm sure <laughs> there will be more, uh, deceptively graphic and, um, gratuitous descriptions of 
Lolita's body, which are just horrifying to read. Um, I mean, someone's going to be murdered. I'm sure, because uh, I believe at the end of part one is when Lolita describes to Humbert uh, how she lost, um, how she had sex with the 13-year-old boy mm-hmm. who is in the neighborhood. I can't remember where he's from. He's uh, from the camp. The camp, yeah. Um, so I'm sure he will probably come in as sort of a Chekhov's gun situation where this character is introduced and now he's going to do something. Um, there's also the the man um, the man at the hotel who know, who Lolita recognized, Quilty. I can't remember what relationship he has with the Hazes. But then Humbert has a weird conversation with him on the porch. Um, so he ostensibly knows, and it, it's sort of implied that that character knows what's going on. So, lots of balls in the air. Right. Lots of things can happen in part two. I mean, I'm hoping um, Humbert gets his comeuppance, but I, 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 I don't know. Um, I will tell you this, that it's about to enter like, this like, very bizarre road trip phase of the novel. Great. Uh, I, th- what I find so lovely about this book, because ultimately I do think that it is a novel worth taking your time with and reading, is that the main character is a, a, just a truly reprehensible, awful person who is, as he says, charming. Like, he is a charming narrator. Um, he writes about things in such a lovely way that you kind of, there's, a, there's like points where you're like, you don't never, you never sympathize with him, or at least I don't, but uh, you're like, this is just a great sentence. Mm-hmm. Like, he makes this some is like good a, jokes. Just yeah. Crafted jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you think, oh, he's maybe not wrong about all these dumb people in the suburb because they're dumb enough to ignore the fact that he is a sociopath. Right. I mean, I, sometimes I wonder, like, he has to be being, like, how obvious is he being? Because his descriptions are very obvious and his descriptions of what he's doing are very clear. And it seems like, very obvious to us that it is he's a monster and this is terrible. But I wonder how, like you said, I wonder how it is actually playing out in the real, you know, quote unquote real world as it's happening. Yeah. 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 Definitely wonder about that. And cause I think he's probably being really obvious, um, based on the fact that someone who meets him at a hotel is like, what the, what the F is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it seems like he's just not as good at covering his tracks as perhaps he, he thinks he is which is going to make part two very very interesting um yeah i don't want to say i look forward to it but i'm this i am like you said this book is worth reading in the fact that it, this book is is challenging in a way i haven't encountered in a long time just well, what do you think is challenging about it the, the, it's i mean the subject matter i can't it makes me feel disgusted in a way i haven't in a reading a book in a long time because there's usually mm-hmm. at least one character you want to identify with or sympathize with in this there's no one here you don't sympathize with anyone in this book? <sighs> well, it's hard. Well, I mean, you it's it's hard because we only really know and under and get Humbert. Right? I I think it goes back to what we were talking about is that all the other characters are relayed through him, so no one and he doesn't if he doesn't treat anyone as real humans, none of the other characters come across as real humans to me either. I mean, you obviously mm. sympathize with Lolita, but I don't we don't really know Lolita. We only know I guess that's true. perception of her. Yeah. And his perception of her is 
pretty narrow. Right, His totally perception of warped all women. and disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this, so, I read the, you you know Hanya Yanagahara. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you might know her um, listeners if from A Little Life, which was quite controversial in its time. Um, but before I read A Little Life, which <laughs> its also time is as about, in two years ago. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but before I read A Little Life, um, I read her first novel, The People in the Trees, which is also about a pedophile, and also begins with a forward by a fake doctor. Um, and similarly, in that novel, the main character, but the main character of People in the Trees is not like a charming, interesting person. He's obviously well known by people as like an extremely awkward, like unpleasant person to be around um and and uh i i that that i've been thinking about that book a lot as i reread this because i read lolita before i read people in the trees the first time around uh and i think it's it's very interesting the way that any novel tries to hide a character's monstrousness from themselves Mm -hmm. um because in the people in the trees the main character cannot admit to himself that he has done anything that is wrong. Um, and in Lolita, he does admit it. He's like, yeah, this is really bad. I'm really bad. But also like, am I really that bad? Right. <laughs> yeah. He goes back and forth where he says, I know this is like wrong. This is a crime. And yet then he also says, but no harm was done. Right. So that, that begs us to ask like, what does he think is harm? Yes. Um, yeah. I, I mean, do you do you sympathize with any of the characters in this book? Uh, I think that when I read this book, I think most about Lolita, but that is definitely something that I think about that you kind of have to fill in on your own. Right. When she like at the end of part one, it's just like I this ugh, this is stick stick with me for the rest of my life because it's so horrifying. But after they sleep together for the first time, and she says like you tore something in me, mm-hmm. it's it's like this is a child who has no one to trust and is totally alone and has just been told in that moment like your mother's dead and you're you're trapped you're trapped with this person and she cannot con- she cannot consent to anything that happened to her um and i it's it's just it's easy to extrapolate from her experience and like to really just like feel fear and sadness for her i think oh yeah and i i think you you were right when you brought this up the, earlier in that the the clearest sense of Lolita we get is when she goes to camp and sort of forgets totally about Humbert. And you realize, oh yeah, this is a 12 year old girl who only like, who cares about 12 year old girl things and hanging out with her friends and, you know, canoeing at summer camp, not the monster seducing her. Yep. 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 Yeah. So this is a, this is a book. I mean, we will talk about this next episode, I think, but what I'm, I'm interested to figure out what the point of this book is. Like why write this book? Well, we will definitely talk about that in the next episode because I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about part two because I do think that it necessarily complicates and confuses what happens in part one. I, I'm, I'm interested because um, I, I was not expecting – I was expecting the straightforwardness of part one. It is certainly not a straightforward novel. Um, I think the reason that it is so challenging is because – in part two, Humbert does change. I, that doesn't it doesn't mean to say that Humbert ever becomes somebody who deserves our sympathy, um, but he does change. Mm-hmm. So that is, I will be interested to see what you think about what those changes mean and, and how the narrative is shaped because of them. Uh, 
Yeah, I, this book is, I think, a lot more than most readers would assume just from knowing what it's about. Is it's not just like it's not the the, the theme of this novel is straight is not straight up pedophilia is bad, right? Like it is bad, and that is a current that runs throughout the whole book. But that is not it is not a moral novel in that sense, right? You, I don't also don't know if you could write a three hundred page book based on that. I mean, I'm sure that I mean, like someone wrote "Go Ask Alice." Like, there are so many moralistic novels like that that exist. Um, but I, that, I think this is why this one particular book stands the test of time is because it, it is so much more complex than that. Yeah. Um, so normally at this time in the podcast, we would play our game "Dive Death." However, we felt that our games were a little bit inappropriate for this book. Like, I really have no interest in looking for Lolita fanfic no, on the internet. Absolutely not. I think you get put on no, the no. list if you do that. Yeah, yeah, pretty sure that's what would happen. So we're, we did not do that. Um, I didn't even want to pitch our own reboots of it because that seemed really questionable too. Yeah, there's no good reboot. Um, I was like, let me. I, I sat down to write some would you rather questions, and I was like, nope, nope, my brain will not allow me to do this. Uh, instead, I'm just going to eat a thousand chocolate bars because I can't physically type out any of these would you rather's. Nope, nope, nope. Yep. <laughs> So uh, instead, we're just going to make some predictions, which really means like you're going to make some predictions because <laughs> I have already read the book. Um, we can also play our other our other favorite game at the very end. But uh, so who do you think is going to die? Well, we basically know everybody dies, right? Uh, we know Humbert dies. Well, who? OK, maybe we'll say who does Humbert kill? Who does Humbert kill? I think he kills uh, Charles, whatever his name is, right? The, the, the kid who had sex with Alita before Humbert. Okay. Uh, I think that being a brought up at the end of part one, I think hum- that I think that knowledge is basically going to drive Humbert mad until he. And I, I think that'll be you know if Humbert does have a downfall, which I am predicting he might. Although I, I think it'll be like you said, more complicated than a straightforward you know villain's downfall. Because uh, I don't know. I mean, Humbert is a villain. I don't know if the. Because he's writing his own book, so he's not casting himself as his own villain, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's not going to like get eaten by hyenas like right, the end of the line. Kid. Right, but yeah. I do, uh, I do think he will have some sort of downfall. I think it'll be his own. Un- I think he will be the source of his own undoing. I think because uh, his part of his, yeah, I think it'll be he'll be driven by mad by the uh, specter of Charles. Uh, I can't remember his last name. Shelby? Is it the? Is it the? Uh, or Charles Holmes? Is it the son of the camp director? I don't remember. It is okay. the son of the camp director, yes. but uh, okay, okay, interesting. Um, who do you think um, is going to still be alive at the end of the book? Uh, I mean, I think Lolita lives. Okay. Uh, yes, that's my prediction. I mean, great. Ostensibly, Humbert has to be alive, right? Because he's writing. Unless we get right, some right. sort like of we, we already know he's dead, right. but yeah, yeah, yeah. But he can't die while he's writing the story we're reading. Right, 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 right. Because uh, he is the novelist, yeah. ostensibly. But I think Lolita yes. will live. Okay, okay. That's all interesting. Um, do you? What do you think Lolita's circumstances will be at the end of the book? <sighs> well, so Humbert makes reference to this a little bit in what we've already read, where he's basically says he only has two, two and a half good years with Lolita left. Because once mm-hmm. she turns 15, he loses interest in her. Um, and I, I'm expecting us to bring that way. So I'm assuming she's going to be... I mean, I guess it depends on how long the relationship lasts with Humbert. Although I hate even calling it a relationship. The uh, I don't know, imprisonment with Humbert, I guess I want to call it. Um, That's kind of what it is. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, she's essentially kidnapped at the end of part one. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But I, I, I imagine she's going to have some sort of PTSD. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know okay. if we'll read it because it's through Humbert's perspective. I don't know if he'll be interested in that. Interesting. I can't wait to see what you think after part two. It's going to be so fascinating. Uh, all right. Well, those predictions are committed to stone now. Right, we can't yeah, back we'll, uh, we'll, give, we'll score them next time. Yeah, we'll discuss next time. Um, we you could all we were discussing this briefly before we started recording. Is that sometimes we play who goes Nazi, but we were like, yeah, Humbert would straight up definitely be a Nazi. Yeah, he's he's like, great at rationalizing moral atrocity, so no problem. Yeah, there. he would be he would be like a high ranking Nazi too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I also thought that there is a there is a novel called The Ogre by Michel Tournier who is who essentially like is about a guy very similar in character to Humbert Humbert, um, who is a, a Nazi. It's about how he is a pedophile Nazi. So, I mean, there's more to it than that. <laughs> like a lot more to it. Again, very complicated. And the pedophilia isn't even like the major thrust of it, but it is definitely there um, and horrifying. Uh, so, yeah, I, I feel confident in our in our decision that pretty much definitely Humbert would be a Nazi. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well... This was part one of the Lolita episode. Very skin crawling. Yes. And yet, at the same time, you can't really stop reading it because it's such a well-written piece of fiction. So... Yeah, I was reading it, you know, I was reading it primarily uh, on the train coming back. I was home for Christmas. I was coming back to New York City and I was reading it. And for this podcast, I was taking notes. Uh, You know, I would read a few pages and then take notes in a notebook. And I I have to imagine the people around me thought I was a real big creep. <laughs> Again, you look young and youthful, so it's definitely not nearly as creepy as if you were thirty years old. Right? Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully, they just think I'm a student um, reading yeah. this book. But yeah, what a what a questionable time. Uh, so that was the first part. We will get back to you next week with the second part, where I can't wait. I really can't wait because that's going to be the most complex part of this conversation and and what happens after all of the uh, things have been established or a little bit, not completely, but have been a little bit turned around. Uh, so. I'm interested to see where this goes. It'll be fun. It, uh, as much as it can be. Right. <laughs> um, and then maybe we could just share next time. We'll share some of our favorite sentences from the book because whatever it is, it is worth reading for the language alone. Yes, I think so. Um, and then I think next week, maybe we'll also talk about how a narrative like this makes sense in today's world. Yes. Because um, that's essentially why we chose this book originally. Yes. Yeah. We'll go into that more. Yes. Because I do have a lot of feelings about the change at the end and that. Uh, but that was the lead of part one. So, uh, Ben, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Gemma. And Happy New Year to all of you, except for Humbert Humbert. All right. We did it. It was, uh, it was really good. Yeah, I think it was good. It was-